Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Uh, We are in the middle of the Nine Principles series. And um, this is really important. I don't know if everybody realizes just how important this is. This is basically uh, an opportunity for us to talk about who we are in terms of our identity as a ministry. All right. So over the last couple weeks, we've been talking about some of the things that, that make us us as a church. And we've talked about how these principles uh, are not like most churches. Churches, a lot of churches have policies. A lot of churches, churches follow based on procedures and rules and, and laws that they use to guide them to function. It helps things go seamlessly. But in a ministry that's growing, we want our leaders to function in a principle-based way. And so these principles really help us to know how to minister and to lead without the watch care of every pastor looking over your shoulder telling you whether you're doing right or wrong, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not at all the Bible studies. How could our Bible studies possibly grow if I had to be there to make sure that your leaders were leading the right way? No, they lead from a place of principle. And so we've talked about several different principles over the last couple weeks. The first week we talked about prayer and how we are going to be a ministry that starts everything with prayer, ends everything with prayer. Why? Because we believe that God answers prayer. And in our flesh and in our own abilities, we don't have the, we don't have the capacity or ability to do anything for God. It's by His Spirit and by His power that we as a ministry even have the opportunity to bear fruit. And so we are going to be a ministry of prayer. Well, how does that manifest itself in Kaya? Okay, well, that means that our leaders know that, that they're not to go about leading or to, to guide or to start some sort of ministry activity or event without beginning with asking the Lord's blessing on that thing. Okay, that's how that would manifest itself. Last week, we talked a lot about discipleship. I don't know if you caught that theme, but we talked about how the Bible is going to be our authority, how it's going to lead and guide everything that we do, and then we're going to instill the truths of God's Word into other people. We're going to invest our time and our energy teaching other people the words of God that they might be sanctified, that they might have their own personal relationship with the Lord. And we talked about the principles that lead that. And I think, I think that's a, a super important... Last week was really, really important to who we are. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but, but in terms of Christianity... Like historically, the church, the true church has never spread the gospel or grown by might, power, and authority, right? They've never done that through force. Um, I was having a conversation, I can't remember who I was having a conversation with this week, but we were talking about how other religious systems, they spread through force and might and, and military power. In fact, we see that right now with Islam in Africa you go and you defeat a village, and then you let them know, hey, we're going to build a mosque, and if you want to eat this week, we're handing out rice at the mosque, and so you're a, you're a Muslim now, right? And that's how they take over continents, whole continents that way, right, year over year. But in Christianity, Christianity is much different. Christianity is a faith that's spread through the sacrifice of people and the message of the gospel. You talk about, we talk about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 all the time around here. Which basically says that God has, it says, and the things that thou hast heard of me, this is Paul speaking among many witnesses. In other words, the things that I taught, the things that I taught to you, that you've seen me declare among many, many people over and over again, the, th- the same things you need to go and declare to others, other faithful men, so that they might also teach, that they shall be able to teach also. And that's who we are as a ministry in terms of discipleship. We are going to hand down the truths that have been given to us person after person after person and trust the Lord that it's going to multiply our ministry all over Kansas City and all over the world. Discipleship is crucial to who we are. Now, today we're going to be talking about leadership primarily. And it's important for you to know that everyone in here that chooses to be a disciple of Jesus Christ also has an opportunity to lead. 
The leadership at Midtown Baptist Temple and in Kaya is not something that we hire out. We're not looking for people with the best credentials. We're not looking to the seminary down the street to provide us with the next up-and-coming leader. We're not headhunting for for new pastors and new elders in our church with the hope that they're going to bring the right marketing scheme or strategy to what we're doing. You know, they've got the smarts, they've got the ability, and they're going to provide us with that. And through through their best efforts, we're going to be a good church with good leadership. No. We train up leaders in our, in, our, in our own midst, okay? That's what, I think that makes us pretty unique as a body. We train up leaders beginning with discipleship, and we instill truth into them time and time again, and we give them opportunity, and we let them fail, and we love them, and we encourage them, and we build them up, and we keep training and training until we've got more pastors and leaders, men and women, who we can trust with the ministry in every way. That's who we're going to be. And that's the theme of today's principles that you're going to hear. And so with that, I'm going to hand it over to Harrison. You're first. Is Alvaro first? Alvaro's last. You guys got your numbers mixed up. Harrison, bro, you're number one. Yeah, we're on number five, bro. One, two, three, four, and then five. You are principle number five. So, hey, he doesn't know how to count. All right? You guys are going to trust me to preach, right? If I can't. But but I believe with all my heart that God is. Okay, so what what I was just talking about is absolutely true in this young man. Okay? He came to this church wanting to learn the Word of God, wanting to be discipled, and God has used him. And just in a matter of a few years, here we are, we're getting to hear Harrison preach this morning, and I'm so blessed by the opportunity. But five does come after four, so it's your turn. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, we're going to talk about principle number five. Um, And principle number five says that our members engage in ministry service. Um, And this principle can sound sort of uh, like you can say it and then be like, wait, I just heard that, but... What does that actually mean? Like, because I feel like every church I've ever been to, they talk about ministry and serving in ministry and giving out donuts and, and standing at the door and greeting people. Um, and so we can sort of become desensitized to that idea of, of ministry and serving in ministry. Um, but that's really dangerous for us um, because ministry and our involvement in ministry is extremely, extremely important not just for the leadership of this church and not even for the Bible study leaders and not even for the ministry leaders, but for for every member, right? We say here at Midtown that every member is a minister. And again, that's something that we can hear so frequently that we become desensitized to it, but um, it's very, very important. Since our ministry is so big, it's easy um, for for us to become isolated and, and and lost, uh, not because of the lack of care that other people have around us, but um, more just Satan condemning us, our flesh condemning us, the world condemning us, and, and, and telling us the lie that we can't actually be involved in ministry, right? So the way that we're going to explore this topic of ministry service and how we can be engaged in ministry service is by asking the question, what does it mean to be a biblical minister? Um, And the Bible shows us um, quite a few requirements uh, for that person that um, that in humility and in a humble desire to worship the Lord um, would desire to to serve him and serve uh, in the local church. So um, each of these requirements that I'm going to give, each of these points, they're going to dovetail into the next one um, to to give us a clearer picture of what it means to minister. Um, And before I start, like, I just want to uh, remind us that ministry starts in discipleship. It starts with the heart that wants to follow the Lord. Our uh, four goals of discipleship are for the Christian, the believer in Jesus Christ, to be established in worship of God, in the word of God, in the local church of God, and in ministry. Um, So this is a a very, very deep part of our heartbeat here at Midtown and and as believers in Jesus Christ at large. So our first point is that biblical ministry 
requires a servant's heart. And the word servant and the word minister, those are very similar words, um, both in our modern lexicon and and in the Bible itself. Um, So much so that uh, both of those words are are in this, this principle. So a servant is someone who gives of self. It's someone who helps others. And this is generally framed in the physical, relational sense. When you bring in the word minister, there becomes a spiritual aspect to being a servant. So a servant minister, a minister with the servant's heart, uh, is the prime uh, example of someone who wants to serve in the body of Christ. So Jesus himself is our perfect example of a servant minister. In Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So this gives us great insight into our calling as Christ's disciples and our calling to engage in ministry service. For Jesus, ministry wasn't about him. He didn't come to be ministered unto, but he came to minister. He came to give. He came to serve. And how did he do that? He gave his life on the cross. He sacrificed himself for the benefit of others. And that's the same mentality that we should have. There are things that we're going to lose. There are things that we're going to give away. There's things that we have to say goodbye to um, or even just postpone in order to be involved in ministry and help others deepen their relationship with Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So here we see biblical love being involved in having a servant's heart. And biblical love uh, is, lo and behold, extremely uh, attached to sacrifice. Jesus made a love sacrifice by dying on the cross for the lost. Um, And so, in turn, ministry is going to involve us to make sacrifices. By love, we're going to serve each other Um, And that can work on a very micro scale. You're in group chats with your Bible study. You're in group chats with your discipler. Um, Answer the text messages, you know. (laughs) Don't ghost people. (laughs) Um, That's extremely convicting for me because I I put off answering text messages because I don't know what I'm going to say. And that's a sacrifice that um, uh, you have to be willing to make if you are wanting to be involved in ministry. That can look like hanging out with somebody who's struggling, getting coffee, buying them lunch, um, just learning what's going on in their life, weeping with them, listening to them, sharing God's word and, and, and how it can be applied to their struggles. It can look like missing service to serve in Kidtown. There are members of our ministry that faithfully do that every month. They choose to invest the word in others instead of getting the word invested in them. And that actually grows them as leaders in a different way. Um, but still, man, like, that's a big sacrifice that people make, and, and, and God is using that every week. And then another example would be just using your home or using part of your school for an outreach event. Um, ultimately, all of this is supposed to be leading to getting the gospel to the lost. Right? So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Right? Our servant's heart... It has to do with getting the gospel to people. It has to do with winning souls. The way you win a soul is to show them that you are trustworthy. God has given you this message to give them. How are you going to be able to give that message if your life doesn't match up with that, right? So the ministry that we're involved in should not be about our gifts and talents, but it should be about the facilitation of the gospel. And so a question that would go along with this is, uh, are we ministering with the heart to genuinely bless others? Is that where our heart is at? Or are we, um, are we just doing it to do it? Are we doing it because that's what's expected? Or do we really want to see the gospel grow and, uh, and, and spread throughout our town and our, our schools and our families? So the next point, our next requirement, is a biblical minister 
uh, has to function as the body of Christ. Biblical ministry only works when everybody is working in tandem with each other. So getting the gospel to the world, getting the gospel to the city, that's a big task. And your servant's heart alone, um, it doesn't quite get the job completely done. For local church ministry to function, um, there are a lot of moving parts. And you could say that each one of us is a moving part. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, uh, it says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. The foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? So that's a big chunk of, of, of passage there. But basically, God is using something that's very familiar to all of us to show us how his local church is supposed to function, how the ministry of the local church is supposed to function, right? I have a body. You have a body. We all get how our body works, right? So every part of our body has a different role, a different function, and each part is important no matter what the size of it is, the placement of it, or if you can see it or not. There are tons of things that are happening inside of us. I have no idea really exactly what those look like outside of drawings, right? But those things are extremely important, and, and actually the local church is, is very similar in some ways. Um, and in the same way, you know, like if I get a little cut in my finger because I have this habit of picking it dead skin, like my whole body is at times focused on that. It's annoying. It's on my mind. You know, so we have many members with various roles and functions, um, and there are going to be some people that literally serve in the spotlight, like this, um, and then well, I just blinded myself. <laughs> Such a bad idea. While others are going to be serving under the radar, right? We have people in the AV ministry. We have people that work on five or six websites that are uh, associated with our ministry, and most of us probably don't even know who those people are that do that job, but man, like if I couldn't go to mbtkc.org or kaya.live, like there's like really good stuff on there that, that I would be missing out on if, if those people weren't doing that job. Um, and so everybody's going to minister in a different way. Um, the key is that it's not about me, it's not about you. Um, there are going to be times where ministry gets frustrating, ministry gets to be burning us out, making us tired, and we have to remember uh, that it's all about God's glory. It's all about getting the gospel to the lost. It's not about us rising up to some sort, sort of a position or, or, or place of leadership. Um, however, leadership is very important. First um, Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 30 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So when we engage in ministry service, um, we have to know that we're one piece in something much larger that God is doing. However, we are needed just as much as anyone else is. And so we need to, to, to give God the glory in that and do that to the best of our heart and the best of our ability. And then the third requirement, I think, is perhaps the most important for, for our lives and, and maybe perhaps the most applicable. Um, my third point is that uh, biblical ministry requires us each to have a healthy relationship with the Lord. So 
contentment in ministry, consistency in ministry, um, excellence in ministry. Those are all things that we all want. But getting the gospel to people is hard work. And sometimes it can be more than we can handle on our own. And I might even argue that all the time it's more than we can handle on our own. We can't save souls. We can't, uh, we can't even make disciples. We're not perfect. We're not God. So there's a supernatural element to making all of these pieces of the local church fit. Um, and so I just want to warn us that if we get busy and preoccupied in ministry and we lose sight of the gospel, we lose sight of, of the big picture of God's glory and his kingdom, we can sink into fleshly patterns. And uh, I know that I have experienced that before in my own life. Um, real fruit only comes from a healthy relationship with the Lord. And so the scripture we're going to look at is Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 38 through 42. And it says, Now it came to pass as they went, and he, Jesus, entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, just as he has said to me so many times in, in my life and ministry, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And so this passage for us today, it lays out for us two different types of ministers. And these aren't static. I think we all slip from one side to the other from time to time. But we want to try to be on a certain side for most of the time. I at least want to try to do that. So Martha is the picture of the flesh-led minister, and Mary is the picture of the spirit-led minister. And what you'll notice about Martha, the flesh-led minister, is that she is opening up her home to be hospitable to Christ. She's serving him. She's cooking food for him. She's keeping the house. While Mary, the spirit-led minister, is, is visiting with him. She's sitting at his feet and hearing his word. Um, and so for us, we can have great intentions in ministry. We can apply the, the servant attitude. We can function in the local church um, but if we end up actually getting frustrated with God while we're doing those things for him, like something is off. Like God has given us this gift of salvation, this grace um, through his son's sacrifice. Our priority should be to spend time with him, to learn him, to take his yoke upon us. Um, and so, like I said earlier, if we get busy and preoccupied in ministry um, and forget that first love, forget um, our own exceeding sinfulness of our own sin and the fact that he loved us, everything we can do for him, all of the work and worry and, and burden we can have for him uh, is vain if we're not worshiping him for who he is in the process. Um, and so there are numerous passages in Scripture that remind us that the richest and most effective ministry only comes from intimacy with God. John 15 and Psalm 1 always come to mind for me. Um, if you, if you want to learn about bearing real fruit through intimacy with the Lord, check out uh, those, those chapters, those passages of Scripture. Um, but ultimately, uh, rich, uh, lasting Ministry, real fruit, is going to come as we just daily die to ourselves and, and choose to spend time reading God's word, studying it, digging into it, um, and praying to him, giving him our hearts. At that point, ministry, it ceases to become our duty and our obligation, and it just becomes the habit of our lives. It becomes our heartbeat. It becomes who we are. And I don't know about y'all, but I want that to be what, what my life is about. I don't want ministry to be something that I'm, I'm trapped in or locked into. I, I want ministry to be something uh, that I do with, with gladness 
and and reverence to the Lord that he's given us such a position. It's a blessing. Um, It's a huge deal to be an ambassador for Christ. Um, And so, you know, just like Sam says, like the question on the floor uh, is when we minister, which all of us who are saved will do, uh, will we minister out of duty or will we minister out of a passionate habit? Um, that's what's going to calibrate us uh, for actively engaging in ministry service um, as uh, principle number five would have us to do. Good morning. My name is Alvaro Briones, and I'll be covering um, principle number six, servant leadership. So thank you, Harrison. Um, Harrison really did a wonderful job covering how we engage in ministry here at Midtown Baptist Temple. And so I will be covering the heart behind that. What, what makes a servant leader? What's their substance, right? So turn with me to 2 Kings 11, because that's going to be the text. Now you're going to be like, how'd you get there? Okay, I just did a search for the word leader, and this is the first mention of the word leader in your Bible. It's Jehoiada. Um, and so we're going to look at the ministry and the life of Jehoiada. So let's go ahead and start. Um, 2 Kings 11, 1 through 3, it says, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's son, which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years, and Athaliah did reign over the land. Okay, we got a drama going on, guys. So in verse 1 through 3, you see this baddie. Her name's Athaliah, and she kills all the seed royal, okay? And what you don't know is in the previous chapter, Jeshu had just killed all her sons in one false swoop. And so now she's retaliating by killing everyone in the royal seed, which is actually against God's promise. God's promise is always that the seed would go through David's lineage, okay? And so we see the situation, this drama, this place of, that, that, uh, this place of really like, oh, what's going to go on? Athaliah is now on the throne. A murderer is king or queen. And so we see the, th- that this is a picture for us. And this is what my whole sermon is going to be about. It's going to be a picture on the heart of a servant leader. And so the picture for us is that God's purposes require great leadership, and you know that from Ephesians 4 that we were given pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And that's like where we're at today. That's why leadership is important. We're not here to rule over anybody. We're here to serve people. We're here to envision people, encourage people, grow people. And it's important that for God's purposes there be leadership. So in this horrible situation with Athaliah on the throne, we need to see, or it'd be a great story if we saw a man step up, and that's what we do see. His name is Jehoiada. He's actually the husband of Jehosheba, who, who captured Joash, the rightful heir, and hid him in the chamber of the Lord for six years. This is the man who's going to complete God's mission. So let's read, read verse 4. The heart and the action of Jehoiada. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guards and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. And here's the action. Verse 12. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony and they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. So here we go. On the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself, right? He said, let me grab leadership. Let me grab the priests. Let me grab the rulers. And let's bring them all in because I have the rightful heir. I have the king that belongs on the throne, the rightful person for this, for this lineage, right? It's not supposed to be Athaliah. Jehoiada knew a better king. Jehoiada knew that this person belonged on the right. He was a rightful heir for the right throne, and guys, that's what our Christian life is about. As servant leaders, as people that you call leaders, that's what their mentality is about, is putting the right king on the right throne. And that's the throne of our hearts. And that's what Jehoiada does. We see that this is according to God's word in 2 Chronicles 23.3. Um, it says that right here. Jo- um, <laughs> wait, I don't have it. It's okay. But it basically says that it was according um, to the purpose of God. 
Um, and you see here that Jehoiada makes an oath before taking action. He knows that regardless of the consequences, because he's going against a murderous queen, hello, like that he would put the right king on the throne. So the thing about servant leadership, even though we do engage in ministry service, the thing about servant leadership, it's a mentality. It's a lifestyle more than anything else. So key point one, servant leaders put Christ on the throne of their hearts. And you see this with Jehoiada. Jehoiada places a rightful king on the throne. And this is a picture for us, like I said, of putting the right king on our hearts, doing the things that we do in ministry for the, for the ambition that Christ is going to get the glory. All right? So key point one, servant leaders put Christ on the throne of the, their hearts. Now, how do we do this? How do we place Christ on the throne of our hearts? Well, let's look at Jesus. Always look at Jesus. Um, and you see this in Mark 9 for context. Uh, the disciples, his followers of Jesus, ask him, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? right? They're, they're fighting to be the leader, the leader of leaders. And Jesus says, um, and then he follows up in Mark 10, the disciples bother him again, and they ask him, who's going to sit at the right and the left hand of your throne? The throne issue again. And here's Jesus' response to leadership and people who are going to be sitting up high with him. Mark 10, 42. But Jesus called them to him and saith, Unto them, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over you, over the Gentiles, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you, here it is, shall be your minister, and whosoever of, will, of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many." Man, we see here Jesus explaining to disciples that leadership comes with serving. And this isn't something that's natural to us, right? If my, I'm not ever going to ask my manager to serve me. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, that's not normal. But we know that in the Christian walk, leadership comes with service. See, we can be like the disciples and want to be, and want to be the best. But in reality, our, our king became the lowest, Right? What the verse 45 says, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. Didn't Jesus have every right to be ministered unto? Didn't he have every right to be glorified, to be worshipped? And what did he do? He put that aside so that the will of the Father would be done. And man, this is, a, this is a struggle. This is a wrestling in your heart. And you see Jesus wrestle with this in his heart in Matthew 26. Let's look at that. It's a crucial moment in Jesus' life. This is right before he's going to be on the cross, before he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even the death of the cross, right? He's in the garden praying all night, guys, to God about the death that was upon him. And we see an insight into his heart as he prays. He says in Matthew 26, 39, And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Do you see that mentality that Christ has? Not, if, this, if this is possible for it to go any other way, Father, please let it. Allow it. But your will be done. You will be on my heart. You will be the number one thing on my heart. And Kaya, this is what servant leadership is about. It's about when you walk into this room, you're not number one anymore. I know that's a hard thing to, to, to grasp of. But you're not number one. God's number one. And it's, so, it's such a better life when you focus on that because then the focus gets taken off yourself and put on other people because that's what God's ultimate mission was about, was to save the world. Man, it's powerful. But just to, just to clarify a few things, um, it's a simple message, definitely a hard reality. But a servant leader is nothing more than a person who's learned to love people the way God loves people. And that's a selfless pursuit. That's it. That's what a servant leader is. It's when I come into here, I'm about my bros. I'm about my father's business. I don't know if he ever says, you know, be about your bros. But, but that's what he's about. He's about loving people. A servant leader is just a servant, guys. <laughs> that's it. A servant leader is just a servant who, who seeks opportunities to serve. You know, that's, that's what's on their mind. People who walk into this church and want to be in leadership don't, you know, like, I think, um, I think a lot of people can come with the idea of power or the idea of fame. But here at Midtown, our servant leadership comes with the idea that I want to seek an opportunity to serve. I want to seek a place for me to step into and, and say, how can I help you today? 
How can I minister to you the spiritual needs of our family here? And the best servant leaders, this is just, oof, the best servant leaders are the ones that in their heart make themselves the least of all. Man, if you're, if you're the least, it's so easy to serve because then you don't even care about your status, but what God's doing through you. All right. But back to our story, imagine if our man Jehoiada, like what if he bucked up and he was like, yo, I'm going to be on that throne, right? Like he's no better than Athaliah. <laughs> and so that's something we got to be careful of is that if we put ourselves on the throne, we're no different than, than the lost world, right? Um, so... Guys, we all struggle with this, with, you know, waiting for someone to say hi. I know I struggle with that. Um, for someone to recognize their good work, right? And it's not bad. This is just natural to us. Uh, but if we had a room full of people who cared about each other more than themselves, the fruit of the Spirit would be upon us, would be upon our midst. Now, how do we go about doing that? That's all fancy talk. That's preacher talk, right? How do we go about doing that? Let's go to Jehoiada's leadership execution, 2 Kings 11, 9 through 12. And the captains over the hundreds did according to all the things that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Amen. And they took every man, his man, that were to come into the Sabbath with him that should go out on the Sabbath, and came to Jehoiada the priest. And to the captains over hundreds did the priests give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapon in his hand, round about the king, from the right corner to the temple to the left corner of the temple. Along by the altar of the temple, he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God, save the king. So you see some conspiring happening here, okay? You see in verse 9 that Jehoiada uses a Sabbath while the shift of the military guards are coming through to gather all his men so he can have the most amount of people there, right? You see him weaponize his men, weaponize, uh, give weapons to his men so they would be guards, right? But the most fitting thing is that he uses weapons that the king used previously. These are King David's weapons for the mission of putting the king's seed back on the throne, David's seed back on the throne. So what, what is this a picture of? This is a picture of our leadership today. One, we arm people with the word of God. There's so many parallels in the Bible that the word of God is a two-edged sword, right? It's a sword. But then two, we lead by example of the word of God. We use previously used weaponry. Like we don't need leadership in here does not come in with their own thoughts and ideas about what it means to, to, to run, you know, like ministry. We, we stick with what the Bible's shown us, guys. It's words. It's truth. And so and this is actually one of the biggest things I struggle with because I'm very much like my dad. You know, my dad's like that dad that's like, you know, come here, son, to like every guy he meets. <laughs> He's like, come here, son, let me tell you. And then he tells him, you know, his life story. And so I struggle with this where like I have to put aside the things that I think I know best and serve my guys with the word of God. Right. Um, because you can be a humble guy. You can be a person with the right heart, the right ambition. Uh, but if you don't have the scripture in your life being worked out, then you're not leading anyone anywhere. Um, so let's be an example. Be thou an example. First Timothy 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto, do, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Man, so you see this passage being spoken to a young leader. His name's Timothy. And he just became a pastor. And he's being told, don't, be, don't neglect the gift that God's given you in leadership just because of your age, Kaya. Right? But be an example in what? In word. Right? And what's he say about the word? What's he say about doctrine? He says to take heed to the teachings of the word. Why? Because it saves himself and it also saves other people's lives. Man, leading from the word of God by exemplifying the word of God will lead to lives being transformed. Hello, somebody. In a congregation of people who rely on their previously used weapons to do the mission. And, you know, this is awesome because Jesus also pictures this to us when he prays. This is the longest prayer that we know of Jesus in the Bible. And it's John 17. 
And in verse 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We see that the truth is the word, right? We see that Jesus sets an example by being sent into the world that what? That we may be sent into the world, right? But then he sets another example that we would sanct- that he sanctifies himself through the truth, that we would sanctify ourselves through the truth. Man, that's powerful. That's, that's powerful to think that Jesus decides that it's so important for him to be set apart with the truth so that his disciples would do the same. And that's what a servant leader is here. It's, and Alex is going to talk about this, but continually, we're not creating something new, but we're relying on the word of God and the principles that really God's shown us through our lives to, to make men and women leaders and, and disciples of Christ. So go ahead, Alex. So uh, my principle is uh, principle number seven, uh, that we're always training leaders. And, and if you haven't noticed, these are stair stacking on top of each other because each step is so important and crucial for the next thing to take place, right? I don't think that that it was, it wasn't like our leaders like put this together and then we're like, whoa, these fit together. Like <laughs> it was very intentional. Uh, and that's because they follow biblical principles that God has laid out for us throughout time. Um, so when we're looking at this concept of, of training leaders all the time, when you really break it down, it's, it's, it should be common sense. But unfortunately, to the local church today, uh, in a lot of local churches in the United States and honestly just all over the world, this concept is, is completely missed. Uh, and it's sad because uh, if this wasn't missed, it would solve so many of the issues that we see in churches that are falling apart, that are... Uh, causing long-term emotional damage to people that are, you know, that, that when their pastor, you know, somebody goes out of the way, or, you know, falls off, they're, they're, they're no one, there's no one there to, to take their place or, you know, whatever, you know. Um, and so, man, it's, again, like it seems like it should be common sense that you would want to, to train someone up because you physically uh, I mean, spiritually, yes, you'll live forever. If you have eternal life, you have eternal life. But this body is not going to last probably, I'm going to say like 80 years. I'm going to say that's probably my max. My body hurts, and I'm only 28. And so I don't know how long I got. So, but that means that if, if God has put me in a position of leadership in this local church, that, that means I have to be training other people up to take my position because whether God calls me home or whether God calls me to another place in ministry, someone needs to take this place. And I would not have done my job if when I am called to the next thing, no one is there behind me to take the place to lead people, right? All right. So uh, key point number one, we train leaders up to replace ourselves, And like I said, that, that seems like... Uh, when you really break it down, you're like, man, that's common sense. But again, it's, it's not always. But we see in John 14, 12, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. What Jesus is saying here is that you, I will not be here forever, and you will have to continue on in what we've been doing here. This is, it was all, it wasn't necessarily just practice. He actually got them in the game. He got his disciples really doing things. But he's saying, there's going to be a point coming very soon where I will not be there necessarily physically to hold your hands. And he says, he won't leave us alone. He left us with the comforter. He left us with the word of God. He left us with the local church in order to fulfill the, the great commission. But he's saying, I need you to take my spot, and, and if, you're, if you can take the spot, and you're doing it in my spirit, he says, you will do greater things than I even did. The Messiah, the one, the one that fulfilled all the prophecy, says that we, can, we will do greater things than he did while he was here on earth. And I find that hard to believe. That, that's, it's really difficult you know, to, to do that, but God, God also tells us in his word he can't lie. 
So he told us that. And so he can't lie. That's kind of where we're at. He's expecting a lot of us. You know, that, that's, that's what it is. Um, so if we as a church aren't reaching down to the next generation, if we're not constantly, this is, you know, we're, we're a college ministry. And like I said, I don't know if you caught that at the top. I'm 28 years old. I'm no longer college age. But if we're not reaching to the people who are college age and then younger and younger, if we're not doing that, there will be nobody that can replace us. And we're destined to fail. We're destined to fall apart as a church, right? And so, praise God, though, we have a local church that exemplifies this amazingly. We have that example. Um, You know, Nick covered uh, discipleship last week. He did a great job uh, about always making disciples, you know, teaching these other, teaching younger believers the things that we got to be taught. You know, John Kindler's here. Uh, John discipled me and Harrison. It's just cool that, like, I'm sure, you know, John got invested in by, you know, someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else. And this train of people has gotten to this point where now John gets to see two of his disciples preaching in front of a room full of 100 plus people. And so, man, that's it's just really cool to see how God continues to to work through these people, you know. But um, if we're going to be effective as a church. Uh, we just we can't take the whole load of ministry on ourselves. That's just practical, and that's just good planning. You know, uh, you can you know, like Sam always says, you're like a tub of butter. It's not a very flattering analogy, uh, but it's true. You can only spread it so thin before you're like, oh, we're out of butter. That's just what it is. That's all we got. And so, you know, if we're smart, if we're going to be wise about it, we're going to have leaders that we've trained up so that we can delegate things to them. You know, I mean, it's just what, you know, Jesus, if anybody could have done it by themselves, would you agree that it would have been Jesus? But even Jesus allowed the disciples to partake in in the ministry that he was doing. Right. And in Mark six, uh, seven, he says, and he called unto them his uh, unto him, the twelve and began uh, to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Luke 10.1 says, In these things the Lord appointed other uh, seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. They, Jesus allowed his disciples to partake in the, the sacrifice of ministry. And he helped them grow in their leadership. They got to, to own the ministry for themselves. Uh, they got to feel what it feels like to be rejected Brandon's been rejected. I know for a fact that there's people that just, not even just, you know, worldly people that have rejected him from sharing the gospel, but there's people that have grown up, you know, in this ministry that at some point rejected Brandon. And it's hard to see because, you know, you have such a close friendship. You're like, hey, don't say that about him. That's not true. But he has been rejected in a lot of ways. And you know who else was? Was Jesus. And so by Brandon being a part of the ministry that God has called him to, he gets to partake in the suffering of that. And that's just an awesome example of just how uh, the disciples also got to get rejected. And they got to also experience the joy and how much it is, how worth it it is to, to be rejected a bunch of times if it means you get to see a few lives transformed for Jesus Christ, Right? And they got to understand that because Jesus trained them up to be leaders and he gave them opportunities to lead and to go and and to own the ministry for themselves, right? And so, um, let me just see where I'm at. Okay, good. Um, Let's see, where are we at? Um, Yeah, okay, so what's really cool about this is Again, you see this ministry played out, or this, this principle played out really well in our church. Sam, the type of intentionality that Sam invests in his key leaders is uh, very uncommon uh, today. A lot of times, you know, I don't know if you guys have listened to this, uh, but the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Mark Driscoll, yeah, that guy. Uh, that sometimes somebody gets a hold of that, that, the reins, and they just want it. 
They don't want anybody else to touch it. They don't want anybody else to get a chance. They don't want anybody else to, to feel what it feels like to lead these people. And that results in disaster. Uh, it's awful. But praise God, uh, Sam is not a, a hoarder. He's not a guy that, you know, wants to do it all for himself. He invites his guys in to do the ministry with him. And he trains them intentionally. He sits down. He talks with them. He's gone over things many, 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 many times. And that intentional investment, that training up of of his leaders trickles down. I promise you, it trickles down because we get Brandon. We get Brandon. And he is, if you know Brandon, you know how serious he is about leadership. He made the joke a few weeks ago. But, like, sometimes you feel like you're going into war. You're like, all right, I feel like. This is, I feel like we're an army here, you know, and this is, is cool because he takes leadership that serious. And that was invested in him. That was instilled in him. And, uh, and that, that is instilled in us. It's being instilled in us as, as young believers. Um, what, what that results in is, is people who are always there and ready to take up a position of leadership when it's needed. We're not necessarily scrambling when something happens. Okay, uh, and then a, a good example, I don't know if it's the, yeah, okay. So you guys know that guy? Harrison. That's just your Facebook profile picture. Um, I don't know why you look so angry in it, but he's like, guess I'll be on Facebook. But yeah, so Harrison actually... He wasn't originally scheduled to be on this week. It was because Jorge actually was under the weather. He was sick. And because that happened, yeah, it's kind of like initially like, ah, crap, what do we do? But then it's just like, oh, Harrison can just switch weeks. Well, praise God. We're not scrambling to like, you know, do an interview process to figure out who's going to fill in for principle five, you know? Praise God for Harrison, right? Thank you, thank you, Harrison, for doing that. Um, all right, so moving on, we get this example of, of Moses giving this ministry, giving his ministry to Joshua, right, in Numbers uh, 27, uh, 15 through 23. And I don't think I'll read the whole thing, but it, well, maybe I will. It says, And Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, uh, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in the sight. And, and thou shalt put, him, uh, put some of thine honor upon him. Okay, so it goes on. It's, it's, there's, it's a good read. You should go. It goes on. God just charges him. So you see, Moses' heart is not to hoard the ministry. He wants to pass it on. And he wants to pass it on in strength. And God says, yeah, give it to Joshua. He's there. He's been there with you. He's learned from you. He's ready. And Moses is like, praise God. Maybe yeah, I can move on and die now. You know, I can. I'm 700 years old. So I'm tired. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway. All right. So our next key point after that says that we, we are always training leaders so that we can plant churches and continue God's mission worldwide. Right. So in order to reach the nations, we have to take church planning seriously. We have to take, you know, planting Bible studies. We have to take that seriously. And in order to do that, we need men and women who are able to lead those churches and Bible studies and ministries, right? Right? So you see it all the time of, of places that have uh, their ministries fall apart because either they don't have a heart for missions. And either so they're, maybe they're just not planting churches. They're not actually, you know, investing in, in the souls that are around the world. Or they're attempting to, but without any real uh, training up of leaders. And so then they just send a guy who, you know, has a degree. You know, they're like, man, so-and-so, brother so-and-so just got his degree finished. We need to send him out into the field. But the dude has never had any actual training or leadership experience or any kind of any experience. You know, he's, he's completely green. He's, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. But that's what we see. And, and there is... 
I'm telling you, there's plenty of churches that are out there that are operating this way under leadership that is just as confused and just as uh, without understanding of God's word as the congregation that they're leading. And that's scary. That's scary because this is something that's really serious that we're supposed to take serious. Um, 1 Timothy 3.6 says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the uh, condemnation of the devil. Uh, giving the ministry to someone who hasn't been trained, it, it's literally directly against what God has commanded us to do. And so we need to be training leaders, that we are making disciples. We're making disciples all the time. Um, but Proverbs 22.6 says, uh, uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, Paul took a chance on Timothy, but it wasn't a blind leap. He had trained Timothy to take the ministries that he had, uh, that he had established. And he had, he had invested the same you know, uh, morals, the same you know, understanding that he had. He invested everything he had in, in Timothy to take those ministries. And when he did... He was confident that Timothy could handle that. He was able to step back, and he didn't have to micromanage Timothy. He didn't have to, you know, check in. And that is, that is what it looks like to, to know that they won't depart from what they were taught, right? To be able to have a disciple and them go and lead a Bible study, and I'm not sitting there thinking like, oh, crap, I know this dude is going to say something wrong, Oh, I better check in. I hope he's not going to. No, like we should be confident in the people that we're training up. And that you can only be that confident in somebody if you're really training them. And you know what, they, what their heart is, right? So, yeah. In conclusion, um, we're all called to be servant leaders. We're all called to, to be training leaders. We're all called to these things together. And... and um, some of you might be thinking, like, I'm not ready to lead. And you might be true. That, that, that's, that might be true. You know, you might not be ready to lead on, on certain, in a certain capacity. But if you ha- have any understanding of God's grace, if you have a testimony of salvation where you've repented and believed on Jesus Christ, you can lead somebody to the Lord. You know that. You know, so that's leadership. That is leadership. We're all called to do that. Um, and as we grow as Christians, our capacities increase and the responsibilities that God gives us uh, increase. Uh, but like Alvaro mentioned, we have some pastors and teachers and evangelists and people that are, you know, willing to invest in us here in our local church. And uh, man, God said he promised that he would not leave us. He said, I will be with you always. And so anytime the ministry seems too hard, anytime you think like, I can't do this, I can't lead this, uh, I'm, I'm not ready, he can. And he is with you always. And he's given us every tool that we could possibly need in order to lead the people that he's given us, right? Um, and so let me think, make sure I didn't miss anything. Oh, uh, when Solomon became king, uh, he asked God for one thing. What was that thing? Wisdom. Wisdom. And that, as leaders, and as we're training up leaders, that's what we need to ask God for. It's just wisdom on how to lead people. Right? And so that's, that's it. In closing, that's it. Uh, love you guys. All right, so... When I was uh, 15 or 16 years old, I went to youth youth camp at this church that I grew up in. And if you knew me at 15 or 16 years old, you knew that I didn't want to go to that youth camp uh, because I had much better things to do with my summer than go to church camp. Uh, but I went, and um, while I was there, the preacher preached a sermon. Don't remember it. After the sermon, though, I do remember an incredible conviction. Um, that I felt, and uh, I don't don't know the exact source. I know it was of God. I don't know exactly how it came to be, but I couldn't get this thing out of my mind, and it was that God was calling me to be a leader. Okay, and I, it wasn't the audible voice of God. It was just a very strong conviction in my heart. Now, at the time, I was a 
freaking mess, right? I was, a, I was a nobody in my church. I was the kid that everybody was trying to minister to when I showed up on Sunday. Like, I was the roughneck that sat in the back who didn't want to be there, but everybody was, like, trying to be nice to because they wanted me to come back next week. That was me. Now, I had no path of growth. I had nowhere to go. Uh, and I remember going to church week after week, looking around and asking myself, how is it that I become the thing that God is telling me to be? How is it that I become a leader? Now, by chance, I, I went to, I, I played basketball back then. Now my knees are not good enough for all that. But I played basketball and I went to a, a, youth, a summer youth basketball camp at MU. And my roommate was a believer who went to the church that planted this church. And uh, after weeks and weeks of squirming at the church that I was at and realizing just I can't grow here. There was, no, there was nothing for me. Okay? We're coming together and we're singing and we're doing church stuff. What does Sam always says? We were doing a lot of pew sitting. But there was no way of moving forward. And this friend of mine showed me a way of moving forward in leadership. Now, I can't tell you how it happened, but somehow God has used me. God has done the thing that he said he was going to do. I could have refused it. I could have gone my own way. I could have made excuses. I could have, you know, found a path that suited me better. But God led me down this path. And this is why, this is why I often say that, that church leadership or growth is not, it's not a ladder. You don't climb up it. You don't make your own way. You don't make the right moves. You don't you know, exercise your own intellect. You don't prove yourself to other leaders. Church leadership or being involved in the ministry and growing is a path that God sets you on and you take a step at a time, a step. And you, you can stand still. You can go backwards. And a lot of people in this room, that's what you're doing. You're standing still or maybe you're even moving backwards. But God has set you on a path. If you know him as your savior, he's called you to leadership. And he's given you a way. He's given you a body. You're sitting here today. He's given you a church. And he set you here because he's telling you that there's a way of growing in your ability to lead and to guide and to be a shepherd to his people and to call people to greater faith and to call them to worship and to call them to discipleship and to multiply the work of the ministry that the whole, might, the whole world might glorify in Jesus Christ. The whole world might know him. And he wants to use you to do it, but not if you deny it today. If you make an excuse today, then you will make an excuse tomorrow, and you will make an excuse next week. And welcome to nominal Christianity, and you can stand still on the path all you want, or you can even go backwards, but you will never be the thing that God has called you to be. Let's fix that. Let's choose to move forward. Let's sign up for discipleship. I'm going to have some counselors come forward, the worship team come up. We're going to pray, and, and, and we'll dismiss here in a moment, but not without an invitation. Here's the invitation. If you know that there is another step to take on the path of growth for your life, then come forward and talk with someone about what that step is. It might be to choose to involve yourself in ministry at a, at a higher level, okay, to commit to ministry. It might mean being more regular in your attendance to Bible study. It might mean signing up for discipleship or LFBI. I don't know what it is. Come work through that this morning. There will be counselors standing up here to talk, uh, talk to you about that. But commit yourself to the work of the Lord. There, I could have been, well, you know how they always tell you that you could be anything you want to be? You know that's a lie, right? Yeah. I could not have been an NBA basketball player. That was not... It was not in the cards. There was no way that was happening. There's a handful of things I could have been, okay? And some of those things could have gotten me attention and respect, maybe fame. I don't know. But we should all be ready and willing to give those things up to be exactly what God has made us to be. And you ought to do that this morning. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and show us how to lay down our flesh to cast it down, to put away the old man who wants a fat paycheck and a nice home and a beautiful wife or a handsome husband and, and kids and, and accolades and the respect of his neighbors and peers and people at the workplace. And there's these, all these things that we desire. And these are the things that steal away the ministry that you've given us to. It's that comfort 
It's that, 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 that convenience, it's that entertainment that always robs us of real sacrifice and real meaning. And Lord, I, I know that, that you have something so much more rich for us. But it will require us mortifying the old man and putting on the new man and choosing to grow and to move forward and to do the hard work. And I know that Satan desires to sift the people in this room this morning. He's even whispering into ears right now, giving people excuses for why they can't do what's right. But Lord, I pray that the conviction of your spirit would be greater and that you would call people to something bigger than themselves this morning. Lord, give people the, the boldness and the unction to come forward and to pray, to meet with someone and to discuss what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, completely sold out, sold out for your ministry, sold out for the mission. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.